0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited
1: more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. David Weiss, director of StoryLab at Humber College, data journalist. Welcome to Shortcuts for the first time. Oh, thanks. Uh, glad to be here. David, uh, here's what we're going to talk about today. There's a new national news network in Canada. They say they're going to save journalism, and I may not be able to talk about them. Also, Rogers Communications and Trump together at last. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Lawrence Rivard, Yoni Revizada, Annika Campbell, Sam and Jeff, Kayla Hubner, Ryan O'Halloran, Ian Roberry,
0: and Liam. Hi, my name's Liam and I'm a data analyst in the field of education based in Montreal. And I support Land because I like knowing what's going on up here in our frosty little hole. And basically this audio scratches that intellectual itch. It's smart. It's entertaining, and it makes my walks more enjoyable.
1: Torstar, which is the country's largest publisher, has
0: decided they are going to start an online gaming and casino site to help fund journalism.
1: So listeners, David, will recall that Torstar has been feeling lucky. In March, the news broke that the publishers of the biggest newspaper in Canada have applied for approval from the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario to open a Torstar online casino. And new owner Paul Rivett explained that, you know, this is just how you fund local news in 2021. He said, doing this as part of Torstar will help support the growth and expansion of quality community-based journalism. He was doing it for the journalism. Now, David, there are certain fun-hating scolds out there, like Canada Land's Jonathan Goldsby, who pointed out that the Toronto Star has a long editorial history of criticizing gambling because it's a tax on the poor in many cases. But Torstar Star spokesman Jim Warren assured everybody that the Toronto Star's online casino will be totally aligned with the Atkinson principles upon which the Star is based. So this, uh, we were promised, is going to be a responsible gold standard gambling operation No worries, then, that the online casino is going to compromise the company's ethics. But David Weiss, your eagle eye spotted a piece in the Toronto Star last week that suggests that the Toronto Star's casino venture might already be impacting the Star's ethics. What did you find and bring to my attention?
0: Sure, and I'd also just like to give credit uh, as well to, it's not just me, but also the crotchety former X-Star people. It seems that the Star has... For the past month, been commissioning a lot of, how can I say this? Positive sports betting coverage. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's really weird to me, and and you know, and here's the thing that that's very difficult, right? Like, I, I say this as someone who who worked at the Star, enjoyed working at the Star. You know, most of the time, uh, there are great people that work at the Star, telling great stories, but some of the editorial choices that they're making here just makes me as a as a paying reader wonder. If they're going to be serving my needs in the future to put that in perspective. So, as I said, they've hired um, a freelancer, uh, Steve McAllister, who, uh, you know, apparently is the managing editor of the Parlay.
1: Yeah, it's a newsletter. The grammar is strange here, but his about page says, welcome to the Parlay, the destination for all things, the business of sports betting. That's sort of a sentence. Yeah. He also is a sports writer. And I don't know if he's got his own conflict of interest. Like, if you're a sports journalist, but you're also writing about sports betting,
0: but let's just focus on the star's ethics here. Yeah. And more power to this guy. He got a freelance gig with the star. That's good. I mean, star hiring freelancers can't complain, I guess. No, let's complain. Let's complain. Okay. But it's also interesting, too. It's uh, I was speaking to a friend before that said apparently a parley is actually a really poor bet. And that's actually the type of bet that like uh, Pro Line does where you have to, like, all three have to win. Like, the odds are really against you. And that's actually what I think. All these columns are talking about. It's just funny that the name of his substack is a bet. I know he's playing off the A aspect, the Canadian aspect, but it's kind of a weird name. It's like naming your racehorse glue.
1: I know it's a long shot, but those are the bets that really pay off. Let's at long last tell people what the hell he's been writing for the star. I'm going to read some headlines here. And all of these have come out in the Toronto star after we learned that they are starting their own online casino. So this is some breaking news from the star, which by the way, is not labeled sponsored content or anything like that. And there's no disclosure about the star's own, uh, at least in the piece that I read, there's no disclosure that the star is getting into the business. Here are the headlines. Introducing the brave new world of sports betting in Canada. Uh, Headline two, gaming operators here want share of $14 billion spent by Canadians annually on offshore betting websites and illegal gambling operations. Hey, yeah, we should be getting a a cut of the action. Why should these illegal offshore operations be getting that $14 billion? Here's another headline, monkey knife fight betting on attracting casual sports fans to its fantasy sports platform. I'll let somebody else decode that. (laughs) And then there's some response. You know, here's here's a nice one for never bet more than you can afford. Don Lupel's betting terms one hundred and one and other wagering advice. So here's some responsible gaming advice in the Toronto Star. And finally, single event sports betting is heading for home in Canada. The game has changed since Strike Two. Lots of great news about online
0: gambling in Canada. Yeah, and it's once a week. So I, I think this is we can look forward to more of, of Steve McAllister's analysis going forward. <laughs> See, and the thing, too, is that this doesn't occur in a vacuum as well. And, you know, it reminds me of what's going on with Now Magazine, how they got taken over by the, their new owners and said they were going to basically focus on video games and weed, you know, to, to align yeah. with their other coverage. But what was really interesting to me is, OK, so this we get the announcement that the star is going to be getting into online betting. OK, fine. Looking for looking for ways to make money. And then April 1st, Steve McAllister starts his beat on April 12th. Another press release that was also pointed out in the, you know, the Toronto Star uh, bitter ex-worker thing, I say that with love, uh, is on, on April 12th, 2021, Mars put out a statement saying Mars announces partnership with Torstar to share innovation news.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And, you know, Mars is a big publicly financed uh, organization that, like, has a significant amount of criticism about how that money gets spent. Yes. And <laughs> and now and now the star is, like, you know, teaming up for a cross-promo project and, like, can we now trust what the star has to say about Mars? Like, Mars is this, like, uh, you know, tech incubator kind of organization-ish thing that is, uh has been pretty widely criticized for being a bit of a sloppy place that burns through a lot of money without much tangible stuff. Nice building. It's a nice building and full disclosure, uh, lots of disclosures to come on this episode, but uh, the, the tech company that I was affiliated with, uh, Bitstrips, I saw firsthand because Mars worked with Bitstrips that like the, the value there might not be there. You know, the star's interests are, are wide and varied. And when I read editorial after editorial about, you know, we're covering the media bailout in Canada, but we're also like the biggest lobbyist pushing for it. And we're covering online betting in Canada concurrently as we pursue that as the savior for our journalism as a revenue stream. And we're covering Mars and the tech sector in Canada, but we're partnering up with Mars. Like, where are we here?
0: Yeah. I, and this is the thing that I have a problem with, too, is, is that, you know, I, I worked for QP Briefing for a while as well, uh, which is owned by Torstar. And Mars was one of the things that we covered on, you know, at the time. there was That was one of those times when there was a spike in, in Mars' announcement on the building and the spending and the star has a really strong, great presence as well, besides QP briefing with, uh, you know, we got Ben Z and, and Ferguson and, and others there covering this, you know, doing really excellent reporting, especially now on the Ford government. I think this, uh, you know, makes their job harder. Yeah. How, because how do you cover Mars when you're partnering? With, it just seems like such a weird conflict of interest circling back to gambling. So you're telling me that in the same month that they basically said, we're not doing innovation economy coverage of government anymore, which is really weird. They've commissioned five articles on sports betting.
1: Yeah, which they just happen to be getting into.
0: It makes me think about, in six months, where are we going to be? I I recently signed up for The Logic, you know, for a, for a one-month trial tip, so I want to read an article. And I like their stuff. I like what David Scott does over there. And, and I was like, I don't know. I already subscribed to the Star. I don't know if I need other stuff. But if if now I know the Star is not covering, uh, you know, the latest tech startup Booming economy, as they say in this in the Mars uh, letter, I care more about that than I do about sports betting. People have really been asking what what the new star owners are doing or like what their kind of editorial mandate is going to be. We see they brought in Anne-Marie Owens, who I met briefly at McLean, seems like a nice person what is this going to shake out in like a year or two? And we're seeing some really weird high level chess playing out here. I think
1: we're seeing some early warning signs, you know, like little things I noticed, like there was like this, a very laudatory article about like a Nashville hot chicken business that was uh, associated with the family of the new Toronto store owners. Uh, No disclosures in that piece. Oh, I missed that. But listen to us whining and complaining about these little meager ethical issues when the future of journalism is in danger and any solution is the right solution. And maybe gambling can bail us out. We're in crisis here, David, you know, uh, we, we can't afford to have ethics anymore. And this brings us to perhaps a different savior of journalism in Canada that I want to talk about. But I'm not sure I can talk about them. Let me tell you a story that uh, that was shopped to me by various PR people and, and others. You tell? So I got an email in my inbox from Farhan Mohammed, a guy I know uh, who has worked in Canadian media for some time. And the subject line read, OMG, I launched a new media company. And we also got sort of embargo offers from these uh, press flacks saying, you know, do you want to have like first dibs on this amazing story? There's a whole, not just a new website or a new newspaper or or online newspaper, there's a whole news brand launching in Canada. Do you want to have this embargoed information? And I'm reading through this thing and I'm like, wait a second. I know these guys. I know Farhan's co-founder, Andrew Wilkinson. That's the guy who gives us a check every month. Andrew Wilkinson of the Tiny Foundation, who invested uh, a micro-investment of a million dollars over three years in Canada land. He started with the Capital Daily, a local news organization he started in Victoria. And I was always like, well, there's going to be a conflict of interest issue for me in covering his stuff. And it's kind of like, do you disclose or do you recuse? My deal with Andrew Wilkinson, by the way, before I get into this new venture that he's launching— My deal with Andrew Wilkinson is that like, I will not have a conversation with him about editorial content. I'll talk with him about money stuff. It's a financial relationship, right? It's a business relationship. But I don't want him calling me about our content. I don't want any influence on our content. That's in our contract. By those terms, it doesn't seem right for me to call him as a media reporter to get answers about his new national local news brand. But Canada needs to report on this. We report on the Canadian media. So here's the decision going forward for this new, it's called OMG, his new national news brand. I'm not going to call him up uh, and ask him for details, but my colleagues can report it out. But I am going to talk about them on this show. I'm going to get, offer analysis, and I'm just going to disclose that I have this association with them, and people can take that for what it's worth.
0: So, OMG is actually the,
1: the acronym? It's called Overstory Media Group is their, is their full name. Uh, and here's the story that we've been told, and we've been told this by Farhan uh, in the Twitter thread. And through his email, through their press releases, and they got a, they got a, a glowing piece in the Guardian. Yeah, I saw that. My job is to poke at the stories that media tells about itself. So basically, they're saying that they have had this great success with the Capital Daily, which is mostly a newsletter. It's also a podcast and website, but it's 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 mostly focused around the newsletter in Victoria, BC. And they're going to build on that success. They've expanded into a bunch of other online publications, the Vancouver Tech Journal, the Burnaby Beacon, the Fraser Valley Current. They said they got a goal of uh, growing to 50 brands and 250 journalists and content creators. So I don't know, let's do some napkin math on that. Uh, 250 employees, you know, $50,000, $60,000 average salary, maybe. I'm thinking that's going to be like at least $13 million a year to operate this news network. And a lot of their language is about like, you know, Farhan says media is broken a struggle to balance thoughtful reporting with making money, and the latter almost always is winning. I'm like, actually, the making money part is losing, which is why we're in trouble. But, you know, I get your point. Media is broken. You're here offering solutions. This is wonderful news that, like, journalists are very happy about. They're not hiring 250 journalists tomorrow, but that's their goal over time, right? And they are hiring journalists to do local journalism. This is amazing. And there's a lot of language that they're going to fix the problems. They have a better model. But it's really unclear... From anything they've released, what that model is. Where's the money coming from? And this idea that they're building on the success of the capital. I'm like, well, I have to poke at that a little bit. And I'm just speaking here based on publicly available information. This isn't any insider stuff that I have from talking to Andrew. The capital I know boasts about 50,000 subscribers to their email newsletter. Those are not paying subscribers. That's a free newsletter. There is rarely advertising Usually it's advertising for tiny. So it's obviously they're not making money. Yeah, it's in-kind. And you can't, they don't have paid subscription. I can only infer from this, David, that the capital is operating at a constant loss. So why would you take after running the capital for two years? And it's been like somewhat rocky. They've gone through at least a couple editors. What is this success that you're going to scale out across the country? It's unclear to me. What is clear to me and what has changed since the capital launched is that Andrew Wilkinson had a business go public. What Andrew does is he invests and builds internet businesses, and he had one called WeCommerce Go Public. And I don't know, CNBC had him on the air and called him a billionaire. I don't think that's accurate. But our own Jonathan Goldsby looked at public information, and from what he could tell, Wilkinson's shares in WeCommerce are now worth about $179 million. And I think therein might lie the reason why he is greatly expanding his efforts in launching Canadian news businesses, which is, I mean, great, great if if really rich people want to launch local news efforts everywhere. But we've seen this story play out. And if you are operating a news network that's losing $13 million a year, you might get tired of losing $13 million a year
0: eventually. What do you know about Andrew, Andrew Wilkinson? You can stop me if this is a a weird conflict. I mean, does is, is he love news?
1: I'll tell you what I know, uh, which is essentially, you know, when I met him, of course, my Spidey sense was like, if somebody wants to invest in news, why? Yeah. And everybody who gets really, really rich off tech has their like angel side of what they do. How are you giving back? What are you passionate about? And my sense was, he does not want to use media to further his uh, influence. At least that was not the case with Canada, Land because we made sure that the contract forbids him from doing that. He had a background in, in journalism school. He started off by doing like an Apple news site. And in, what he told me, and I don't really have any reason to doubt him, is that he really cares about the news and he's watching it get destroyed. And you know, tech guys like to try to solve things. And so I think he feels like, I want to be part of the solution. Canadian news needs needs somebody to save it. I guess it's my job to be skeptical about saviors, and I managed the opportunity in a way that I think fits Canada Land. But uh, but now it falls to me to criticize his further efforts because he's got a he's got a national news brand now.
0: Yeah, we've just been hurt so many times, Jesse. I know so so many times. I, I it's it's hard because I'm like this guy sounds like a you know. Sounds like a nice guy, nice guy in news. We need more nice guys in news.
1: Philanthropy or, or different levels of quasi-philanthropy or, or angel investment are certainly welcome, but they can hurt. And, you know, Actually, Andrew's alert to that. When the first thing he said when I met him in person was, how could this go wrong? Let's look at the worst case scenarios, which I thought was a really good and open way to engage the conversation.
0: So how can he hurt you? Jesse, how can you be hurt?
1: You know, I'm I'm a human. I can bleed, you know, but here's how here's how uh, money hurts news. I'll tell you right now exactly how money hurts news. And we've seen it play out again and again and again. Uh, you have a big windfall. Money comes in. It's not money you earned. It's investment money or the government gave it to you or something. Now, all of a sudden, you're not on this like starvation diet. You can like hire people. You can open up new beats and up bureaus. You can launch new products. You can do all kinds of great things. And you make a ton of commitments to people and you give them full-time jobs and you make promises to the public. And growing pains, you know, sometimes you can grow too big too soon, but whatever. Well, the thing that happens is that as soon as you take money, the way investments are structured is you've got a business plan where... You're laying out expectations that if we spend money and open up new beats and, and advertise subscriptions or try to get our advertising rates up, eventually we start generating revenue. And we as the investment winds down, the revenue is scaling up. And basically you're making like a gamble, to talk about gambling again, that those two things are going to like align perfectly. That right when the investment runs out, the revenue that it's generated will pick up the slack and you'll be able to make payroll. And that is a huge gamble. And what happens more often than not, and sometimes it happens very unexpectedly because, you know, in the business plan, you imagine that your investor is going to be on board for, you know, X amount of time. But what if the investor's stock portfolio suffers or they get sick of losing money on the news and all of a sudden the money dries up and the revenue isn't there yet? Uh, All of a sudden – what was yesterday a thriving news organization with deep pockets and big plans suddenly can't make its next payroll. And the lights go off like that. And that, and, you know, to various degrees, we've seen that with like Toro. And I think, you know, that's kind of what happened with Vice's big play with the $50 million. Tons of people lost their jobs. It can get shitty. It can get, it can get really shitty. So that's a big bummer. Somebody's putting millions of dollars into launching a a national news organization in Canada, and we've just rained on the parade. And it happens to be somebody who sends us money every month.
0: Oh, that seems about par for the course for Canada Land. David Weiss, duly noted. Go first. All right, uh, Jesse. Well, I'd like to duly note some uh, Humber grads, uh, past grads that have been nominated for the uh, Canadian Association of Journalists Awards, uh, some for the first time, some are familiar names. Uh, Elaine Anselmi, Katie Peterson, uh, Matthew Pierce, and Drew Serene, the latter of whom I uh, had the pleasure of teaching. They're the finalists in the data journalism category, which is, of course, close to my heart. And it's on a story called The Big Spend at CBC, which is looking at the money that the federal government has spent uh, trying to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, good on you for uh, breaking into the uh, the journalism award scene, which, we, as we all know, as journalists, is the most important part of the career is sitting at that banquet table and waiting for someone to read your name. We're also uh, at Stor- Humber Story Lab where we're working on a national story right now called uh, Surviving Hate, which is uh, looking to uh, provide a snapshot of hate crimes across Canada and how they're impacting people. And uh, we've, we've built a really great team. And we're actually doing a, a crowdsourced journalism survey right now, which you can uh, fill out from the Story Lab website. So we're actually soliciting from all across the country, from different marginalized groups. Duly noted. I have
1: one. And mine is equally self-serving, actually. I want to duly note our new column. It's called The Secret Public Servant. We've been approached here at Canada Land by an individual who... We know who they are, but we've agreed to uh, withhold their identity. They are a public servant who came to us not in a whistleblower capacity, like I need you to know about this scandal that I want to give you information about, but in a general sense of like just being completely fed up with the incompetence and waste and just sort of amused by some of the behind the scenes things that happen in the public service within the federal government. So we gave them a column. And we're pretty excited about it. The first one's just published on our website, The Secret Public Servant. And I'll read you just one paragraph here. In this column, you're going to meet a host of characters. The minister whose writing office is a toxic mess of recrimination and walkouts. The employee allegedly dealing drugs out of his office. And one of my favorites, the staff member whose behavior was so bad that it was decided that she could not be fired because if she were, the chances would be that much greater that her shenanigans could become public knowledge. I've seen a list of the, of the stuff that the secret public servant is going to be writing about. Uh, it's a bi-weekly column. Um, and it's well worth your time. So check it out on
0: our website, Canadaland.com. I really enjoyed the column, except you left out all the juicy bits. You left me hungry for more. That's how we do. We get you hooked. Duly noted.
1: Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. David, uh, Jonathan Goldsby keeps coming up this week. And uh, Jonathan Goldsby, he, he kind of, uh, I think he broke this little minor story. Maybe he got it from 1236. I'm not sure. I think maybe he did. But uh, it was Goldsby's tweet that brought my attention to the fact that Edward Rogers, chairman of Rogers Communication and the Toronto Blue Jays, was snapped in a photograph with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. His wife, Suzanne Rogers, uh, is the one who, who posted this uh, to Instagram. There's a series of posts of them at Mar-a-Lago, you know, no masks uh, for most of it. And, and finally, uh, after all these pictures of, of the Rogers family and their kids enjoying this swanky thing at Mar-a-Lago, a special finish to the evening. Here is the Rogers family with Donald Trump himself. And I mean, whatever, who cares? Well, uh, you know, some people cared. One angle of this was that Suzanne Rogers, she's donated a couple million bucks to Ryerson University's School of Fashion. They posted a uh, Instagram post saying that uh, we've invited Suzanne Rogers to enter into a dialogue with our faculty, staff and students to discuss the impact that Trump and his community has had on harming members of the fashion industry who are low-income, black, brown, Asian, disabled, indigenous, trans, queer, and or part of other systemically marginalized communities. And then Roger's fashion Instagram removed that post, saying, weirdly, we do not believe social media is the appropriate platform to judge the actions of others. That's exactly what it's for. What, what is social media for, if not to judge the actions of others? I think this might have something to do not just with the $2 million that Suzanne Rogers gave to the school of fashion, but the fact that the Rogers family has a school of business at Ryerson and their major benefactors to uh, Ryerson. What else with this tempest in a teapot? Suzanne Rogers then removed uh, all, of the, all of her posts uh, of them cozying up to Trump. And she kind of like released this statement that's just dripping in grievance, this false apology. Where she says, I do not have any kind of relationship with Donald Trump, good or otherwise. I regret that my actions caused anyone to question my values or commitment to the communities and causes that my family and I hold so dear. She basically said, like, shame on you for assuming my politics just because I took a smiling selfie with Donald Trump, who has a record of, of egregious harms to LGBTQ. Like, it's not it's no joke. I think she's like, this was apolitical. There's nothing apolitical about posing with Donald Trump. For me, it was just this like Rogers and Trump. Like, you know, what a bad look that is for maybe the most hated name in Canada. Canada Rogers uh, to kind of, Hey, here we are with uh, another extremely hated name.
0: What did you make of this? Let's bring it back to COVID. We haven't talked about COVID at all. And I know people love hearing about it. So let's, let's bring it back to COVID. Oh, we almost went a full episode without talking about COVID. Yeah. So I think the more egregious thing, like I'm not surprised that the Rogers are hanging out at Mar-a-Lago. Where else would they go on vacation? I mean, in the sense that like people of a certain class like to hang out with other people of a certain class, politics aside. You know, they want to go have a really nice brunch and dress up in, in pastels and stuff. More power to them, I guess. I think the problem is, is just the optics of it, which is that at a time when, you know, I've been in well, I live in the downtown core. I've been like in perpetual lockdown uh, forever, it seems. And, and people are being told not to go overseas. We're seeing these pictures, horrific pictures coming out of India and, you know, testimonials from people. Uh, in the even the Canadian journals world, who are talking about their relatives dying like two, three, at a, you know, in a matter of days, and all these horrific things. That one story of the the thirteen year old uh, girl who tragically died. Yeah, I believe her father was an essential worker and was worried about leaving her with no one there, but he had to go to work. I mean, then you get the other side of it, and you see people for whom the pandemic doesn't seem to be that big a deal, or at least that bit not that big of a deal. Compared to, I guess, the vast majority of people, and I think that that strikes. Even if you took Donald Trump out of it, I would still say that it strikes a weird, maybe not the best optics, <laughs> to put it nicely, right? And you know, it's particularly for me. You know, I used to drive by Mar-a-Lago all the time. I, my grandparents lived in West Palm Beach. Uh, they now live. One of them lives in Boca, and, and you know, my my grandfather died from COVID, and it, it is kind of vexing. That, you know, I made the decision not to go and my family didn't go because they weren't allowing a lot of people at the funeral. We couldn't go. What Are we going to have to quarantine when we come back, go to the hotels? Like, I'm really interested to know, like, are the Rogers going to be in quarantine when they get back? And if not, if they have to pay a fine, as it seems like a lot of people are just kind of flouting it, as we're seeing in the news now. I don't really the, the fine isn't scaled up, is it? Right. I guess what I want to say is, like, I don't want to cast particular shade on people, on them just for kind of going on a vacation. I think we all know people in our lives who've probably taken during this pandemic, like gone to Mexico. Maybe they're not our closest friends, but we're kind of like, ew, that's, I don't, you know, I wouldn't do that. And I, but I can't believe you're posting pictures mm-hmm. about it because it seems just kind of in bad taste. But especially, especially over this past week when we've just seen so many horror stories across the globe to kind of post these Bridgerton social photos it seems really weird. And then the Ryerson response was interesting that they said social is not the way they don't want to handle it there. To judge people, and then the response was from the Rogers on social. Suzanne Rogers, she actually did respond on social. Yeah, it's a bad. It was a bad luck.
1: I'm sorry to hear about your grandfather, and and I think that that's totally valid. You know, like you couldn't go to your grandfather's funeral, but here they are in their linen suits posing with Trump at a party. No surprises here. We assume that the mega wealthy do this kind of shit, but like, yeah, don't fucking you know shove our faces in it on your Instagram account. And, you know, David, I'm going to take this opportunity while we're dumping on Rogers. They are in the journalism business and they have made public statements about um, their commitment to diversity. So Trump is no friend of journalism. Trump is no uh, no friend to BIPOC. But there is this other aspect that I want to get into, which is just that, like, uh, you know, maybe a bit of an aside, but I'm just going to go for it. Everyone is very mad about C-10, Bill C-10. And nobody has been talking about Rogers' role. And Bill C-10. People are saying, Canada, why aren't you covering Bill C-10? We're all really angry about it. And I'm like, well, we covered it a couple months ago and nobody really cared. Because uh, back then it was about the fact that like this big power grab of the CRTC seizing regulatory control over all internet content, including podcasting. And that's telecom policy that a lot of people don't connect with. But once the conservatives latched on to Bill C-10 because uh, they removed this protection against uploading YouTube videos, and now CRTC is going to have regulatory powers over that as well, I'm going to link it back. Bear with me. Everyone's in an uproar because it's, it's, it's basically been successfully spun as this is the liberals trying to control free speech, and that's why we should be angry about Bill C-10. I honestly don't think that's what the liberals are trying to do. That might be the, the result of it, that they have control over people's speech, and they might use that. But that's not what's driving this. What's driving this is Rogers, and Bell, and the other telecom companies. And that's what's been driving it for many years. What's driving this is that these companies have this argument that um, it's not fair that Netflix and and YouTube and such are getting a free ride and don't have to pay into CanCon, but they do. And now that everybody's upset about fake news and hate content, there's a political will to actually turn this into law. But, you know, it upset me a little bit. I was listening to to, to FrontBurner, which like, you know, I think FrontBurner is a good show, but Front burner was covering this stuff, and they were just like repeating Rogers and Bell and telecom industry talking points that Bill C ten is an effort to level the playing field and to make Netflix on equal footing with Canadian companies like Bell and Rogers, and that this was long overdue legislation to modernize our our uh, telecom legislation that's straight from the lobbying messaging coming from Rogers and Bell um and it's not true because the the playing field was never level. Rogers and Bell, you couldn't even have Netflix come and compete with them in the old system on TV because only Canadian companies were allowed to compete on TV and that's why they had to pay into the CanCon system. And now Rogers and Bell operate their own Netflix competitors on the internet, and those services don't pay into the KenCon system either. So it's just, it's complete industry bullshit that I don't want to hear repeated to me from the public broadcaster. And like, it's interesting to see everybody getting angry at Bill C-10, but Roger's kind of getting off the hook for being one of the originating companies driving this thing.
0: Can I say a nice thing about Stephen Harper? It's permissible here. A lot of people don't know that, but that is allowed. I uh, do not miss Stephen Harper uh, for a majority of his policies and things that he did, but Man, I loved when he was sticking it to telecoms. That was like the one good thing that I wish was kept forward in, with this government was making them sweat a little. But that's all he did. He promised he was going to take them on.
1: But ultimately, everything that happened there with uh, Tony Clement and, and James Moore to try to bring them to heel, it, it didn't really amount to much. You know, they, they, they temporarily put some competition in the market and then it got trampled. Like, it, you know, we can't credit him too much with any big advances there.
0: Oh, no, no. I'm just saying, I, you know, if there's one thing I, I like that and I like that he liked Breaking Bad, but that was about it. And then he had a cat. I'm a cat guy. Uh, that's about it. I should probably stop. I'm, I'm really not a Stephen Harper apologist. Uh, I just think that, yeah, it's just another example of telecoms. You know, we are but peons in the great Canadian telecom world. And I, I'm actually surprised that we don't have more. That would be a really great commons. That's a good idea. That's
1: uh, that shortcuts for this week. Uh, I can be emailed about it at Jesse at dot And I read everything that you send If you like this show, by the way, uh, it's cheaper than ever to support it for a buck a month. Just go click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join.
0: We're on Twitter at canadaland David Weiss, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter at David Weiss. Spell Weiss. W-E-I-S-Z. This
1: episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Copacchione. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Once again, if you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of our podcasts, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years
0: ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og for det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er alt alle de der podcaster og forklarer mod nederen der. Vi gør grime med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjovt spas med at have den her vidunderlige